0: Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Roy Moran. I've been around here a long time. As my children would tell me, I'm older than dirt. <laughs> um, when I first heard that song, um, I, I sort of was um, stirred. And, and so I want to do something with you this morning. I, I want to just sort of play a word game. Um, What word, what one word uh, would describe what you were feeling as you were trying to listen to that song? All right, so not hard, there's no wrong or right answer here, just one word, so I want you to turn to the person next to you, hopefully someone you're slightly familiar with or at least friendly with, and just tell them that word, go right ahead, just that one word. All right, let's see how close you are to where I was, and and maybe this tells you where I was when the first time I heard it. Um, The word for me was guilt. It was guilt. Because I heard, all I heard in that song was satellite call, love me from the ground. These words, I was putting it together and thinking about my own personal context, and and I'm sitting in my house in my neighborhood, and thinking of the history, uh, my history in that neighborhood. And I've had two neighbors who've committed suicide. Um, and and within, I mean, I can throw a rock and hit both of their houses. And when that happens. It's a, it's a shock, I'm sure, to the family and tragedy and, and all, all those kinds of things. But thinking just for me and myself, it's like, wow, um, did, did I have 30 minutes or a half an hour on a regular basis to connect with each of those guys and, and just to, to figure out what life was all about? If, if I had some time, would it have made a difference in the kind of decisions they made to end their lives. I had another neighbor lose a leg in an accident, and um, I I did visit him once, uh, but I didn't really keep up like I should have. I could have, but uh, somehow um, life got in the way. And when I heard that song, um, it it sort of hit me that, that there are people all around me that need my time, and yet, unfortunately for me, um, I, I didn't take the time to, to engage in their worlds. Why time, why time? Well, let me, let me draw a bigger picture and try to come back, and so today, it's gonna require a lot of you um, I promise I won't go as long as last week. That <laughs> wasn't me last week, but, you know, um, I was far away from here. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm, I'm going to need you to think with me because this is a big picture tied to something really small. It, it, it's a little bit like um, the game of golf. I, I, I know you all are just, you know, you can't wait to get home this afternoon and turn on the TV and watch the last round of the Wells Fargo and, to, you know, see who wins, because the wind's going to be up. It's going to be kind of rainy again, 50 degrees. <laughs> You're not with me here, are you? <laughs> well, let me just, like, for instance, there are small things in a golf swing that tell a lot about what's going to happen. Uh, when someone takes a piece of metal and swings at a little little ball made of all kinds of goofy chemicals, and and it, and it goes down someplace. So... <laughs> But, but just, just if you are a golfer, you'll get me, and if not, if you go out to a driving range or a golf course, you can see this. Uh, for instance, you know, in the golf swing, I'm, I'm right-handed, so I, I, I take the ball back like this, and there's one thing you can look at to know uh, something about what the outcome of the shot. Just one little thing. I mean, it's tiny. Most people don't even realize it but it, it, it relates in, in significant ways to the outcome. And that is the angle of the, my left wrist, since I'm right-handed, or if you were left-handed, your, your right wrist, um, the angle of that wrist at the top of the backswing. So up here, if it's like this, if this angle of the wrist is like this, I can tell you the ball's gonna go that way. It's gonna look like a banana, not a pineapple, right? like that. Is that right, Greg? <laughs> but if it's, if it's bowed like this, the ball's going to take off lower, and it will have more of a chance to go the other way, or even straight. One little thing, one little thing tells a significant part about the outcome. And that's true in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, in a lot of different areas. It's true in the spiritual area. It, it's true if you're trying to follow Jesus. If, you're, if you've decided that, that Jesus is going to be, you know, the king of your world. He's, he's going to be the primary consultant in your life. He's going to be the person you turn to. He's going to be the person who you begin to explore because you understand the story about God leaving heaven, coming to earth, living and dying again. For you. For me. You you, you get that. You you decide that, okay, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And really, there's there's one little thing. It's like the bend, you know, it's, it's like the wrist angle at the top of the backswing. There's one little thing that really begins to help us understand what it looks like to follow Jesus in a way that gets traction in our world. Now there are a lot of us, maybe some of us here, maybe some of us online, maybe not. But a lot of us, uh, we have words that make us seem like, and we have maybe some some small actions like coming to a space like this on a Sunday, and and we feel like that this is sort of adding to that kind of um, the, the the stuff that we need to be spiritual, and it can. But it doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, because ultimately, there's one little thing that really does tell what it looks like for you and I to genuinely follow Jesus. And you probably guessed it because you saw the title, but it's your investment of time. Time. See, time and attention equals relationship. Time and attention equals relationship. And, and when, when God gets our attention and, and we begin to, to understand what he's done for us and the, and the kind of love that he has for you and I, then all of a sudden we can turn our faces toward him. When my first child was, was really young, she got an idea. I don't know where she got it from Not from her father, at least, but and she would, if she wanted to talk to you, she would grab your face and turn your face (laughs) to look at you. And she would talk to me. And it's like, why does she do that? (laughs) Because I think I can do two things at one time. And I think I can talk to her and I can, you know, do something else. And she knew better. And she would turn my face to her, and we would look eyeball to eyeball, and then she would talk to me. Time and attention equals relationship. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, he he created Adam and Eve to be a family, his family, and and he put them in a space where they had everything they ever needed to to live in, in, in a very full and meaningful relationship with him, And for some odd reason, Adam and Eve got stupid. They decided they needed something else. They needed more. They needed more. And so they decided to to find more apart from this creator God, this father who had created this space for them. Now, you may think God would have given up on family at that point, but he didn't. If you begin reading in the book of Genesis, and you go all the way through the book of Revelation, you understand that this is a story about God creating a family. He is about family. And so as you move through the major characters of the first half of the Bible, you see God pulling to himself a strategy to build that family. First, it's Abraham and the Jewish nation. And then through that comes Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews, Jesus, God who existed in the flesh, who went to the cross to provide the opportunity for us to re-engage God as family. In John 1:12, he says, you know, to, to those who trust him, to those who trust him, he gave them the right, the privilege of becoming children of God, family. He drew us back into family. And in fact, the, the story of the Bible is all about you and I, as family, as 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 we begin to trust him, becoming family, and the idea of us finding our family. For those of you who have ever grown up in a situation where you didn't know your family, maybe you were adopted, maybe you were abandoned. But I've walked along several beside several men who, who didn't know their fathers. And watching that lifelong search to figure out who their father was and to connect with their father was a fascinating experience. Well, we have a father in heaven who's not hiding from us. He is wildly available to every one of us. And he wants us, once we experience that right of a child of God, he wants us to help him find his family. You and I, live in neighborhoods full of people who are in desperate need of finding God as a father. Many of them know God as a creator. They know the beauty of a, the green lush spring as it spreads forth or the, the power of a thunderstorm or the beauty and the majesty and the grandeur of mountains and, and the, the vastness of an ocean and the, the power of waves hitting the shore. They know all of that and they experience God as a creator but they've yet to experience him as father. They've yet to experience his favor and understand what it looks like to be loved in unimaginable ways when you don't deserve to be loved. And so God has been about building this family and through that family, finding more family. But there's a problem. There's a problem for you and I in this world because as, as men and women who, who maybe profess to be children of God now, not just God as creator, but, but God as father, I'm willing to trust him. I, I'm willing to believe that what he says matters more than anything else. And yet, We have been born into a world that idolizes busy. You know when you ask someone, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I'm I'm, I'm great. It's going fine. Busy, you know, as usual. It's it's pretty standard to have some word that that may be an equivalent to busy figure out in that that conversation because the fact is is that we have grown up realizing that if you're not busy you're not important if you don't have things to do or someone doesn't want your time then you're pretty much worthless and it's like when's the last time someone said hey i'm doing great what are you doing nothing (laughs) absolutely nothing I got a glass of iced tea on my porch and I've known, I know the name of every dog in my neighborhood now (laughs) because there are people who I didn't know have dogs, have dogs. That's the COVID effect. You know, I'm doing nothing. I mean, that's just not American, is it? It's just not a good Midwestern value. Uh, In fact, we might call that Lazy. The fact is, is that we have been trained to be busy. We, we, we have have this idea that being busy is is like important. It's stuff. I was collecting um, quotes this week on busy. You know, and, and uh, it, it's fascinating. Um, Corey Ten Boom. Now, you may or may not know who Cory Ten Boom was, but if you ever want to read a novel about someone who was, was a, an incredibly courageous, uh, Corey Tinboom Boom uh, helped Jewish people during the Holocaust escape the Nazis. And it's an incredible story about you know, being put in a, a concentration camp and herself and, and just an incredible woman of faith, a person who followed Jesus when it cost her an incredible amount. And she says, the devil can't make you sin, but he can make you hurry. You see, hurry is that close to a cancer of the soul. In fact, that great theologian Bill Gates (laughs) says that busy is the new stupid. (laughs) I like it. Carl Jung, you may have sometime taken the Myers Briggs uh, personality inventory, and you come out with four letters, you know, like you're a ENTJ or a IMFB or whatever it is. You know, you got all kinds of you know, letters there. Um, but but he, his research, his he's a psychologist. His research was the basis of that. And 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 Carl Jung says that uh, that that busy is not of the devil. Because busy is the devil. One of my spiritual mentors, Dallas Willard, pointed this out to me for the very first time when he said that the fact is, is that we suffer from hurry sickness. We're we're just in a hurry. And and because we're in a hurry, we, we have an inability to really connect and be transformed by God. Now, I just want to take a moment to sort of ground this, you know, in, in the scriptures so you understand how important this is. Jesus was asking Matthew 22, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And, and it was really a, a ploy by his enemies, the Pharisees, to really get him um, in trouble. You know, they, they wanted, here's, here's there's 10, obviously the 10 commandments. They wanted him to pick one. And then they, they thought he would be in trouble because there were nine other ones that they were going to pick at him on. But Jesus' answer was this He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. So, as Jesus is asked to respond to what does a true, genuine spiritual life look like? What does it look like to follow me? It's to love your neighbor. And, and I would have to confess that I have not loved my neighbors. Not like they should be loved. Not like God has called me to love them. And I would bet it's true of many of you as well. I, I, I would bet that many of us struggle to even know the name of our neighbors. And so that's why last week, we, we came up and, and we gave you some of these things. They're still available out there by that door in the lobby if, if you want to find the, the love where I live space out there. Just, just looking, you know, what, what are nine or, or eight neighbors' names? And, and then begin the process of knowing things. Just like we saw here in this dramatic sketch of knowing things about your neighbors. Who lives in that house? What are their names? What do they do? Um, what do they like, how do they inter- entertain themselves, All, you know, just beginning the process, because love is time and attention, love is time and attention, and you can't love your neighbor unless you give them time and attention. And so as we continue throughout this series, we're going to continue to try to give you practical ways. If you stop by Love Where You Live out there, you'll see some, some really practical hands-on tools to be able to come to grips with the fact that there are some small steps you can take. If you're interested in this, join us Tuesday night. Go to the app, go to the events section, sign up for the Show Creek Network And that's what we do once a month on Tuesday nights. Talk about how we can love our neighbors better. But one more passage of Scripture that that really sort of nails this. And in this summer, we're going to do this entire book, the book of Galatians. But in chapter 5, Paul says, for the entire law. Okay, so that's, I mean, he's talking about the first five books of the Bible. 619 laws there. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one commandment, one commandment. So I, I, I love, I love synopses. you know? I mean, Cliff Notes are my friend. I, I don't have a graduate degree because I've read millions and millions of pages. I have a graduate degree because I figured out where the Cliff Notes were. <laughs> I, I love it when people put the cookies on the lower shelf. Because that's where I live, on the lower shelf, all right? I love that. And so Paul does this when he says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. What does that look like? Well, I'm guessing that you, like me, are struggling because... If I come and add this to your pile of things to do, you're already busy, right? And, and, you know, I'm showing you like eight neighbors here, oh my gosh, to get to know those people, and some of them aren't even worth getting to know, right? I mean, there's some of them that scare you. You know, they, they, they put yard signs in their yards that you don't like, or they fly flags that you don't like, or they... You know, they, they have statements uh, about social issues that you could care less about, or you don't like them because of that. And, and so all of a sudden, we put up these barriers, and yet Jesus says, If you follow me, all that sits in the first half of the Bible, everything that Jesus taught, rests on loving your neighbor. So, how do we do that? There's a great little book by a Japanese theologian uh, called Three Mile an Hour God. Three Mile an Hour God. Now, you know, if if you're really with me today, you might think, what is he talking about? And And he's really talking about walking. I mean, generally... We walk at about three and a half, three, three miles of, you know, I mean, some of us, some of us are in a hurry, so we walk at five. Um, um, but we walk at a, you know, three mile an hour pace. But, but the problem is, is that hurry sickness gets in the way of us living at the way that we were really made to live. Now, I know I haven't convinced all of you that, that, that you're in a hurry, so let me try I wanna give you a test, all right? So I've got six things, six things here. I'll read the statements. You decide whether they label you or they don't label you, all right? So just take five fingers, because you won't need all six, all right? And, and when I say one that, that re- represents you, then you point your index finger out. When I say two, and then three, and then and in just a few minutes when I finish this, we're gonna all hold our hands in the air. All right, so here we go. Number one, you treat everything like it's a race. Constantly trying to beat people. You choose the line at the grocery store on the basis of how fast you can get through, and then you keep track of a person three aisles down to see if you beat them. (laughs) Or you might do the same at the stoplight, you know? You think, oh, I'm gonna get over here, and you look over, and you're finally getting on the freeway. <laughs> He's in my rearview mirror. <laughs> I got him beat today. Yeah. So, all right. Number one, you treat everything as a race. Number two, you find it impossible to do just one task at a time. You find it impossible to do one task at a time. Now. We could have a confession booth up here for those of you who watch TV and play Wordle at the same time. Or talk on the phone and play with your phone at the same time and doing something. Search on the internet and yeah, that kind of stuff. You find it impossible to do one task at the same time. All right. So, three, you get highly irritable when encountering a delay or an interruption in your world. All right, C.S. Lewis, a famous follower of Jesus, who's written a lot of things, Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, all this kind of things. C.S. Lewis said that that the way we respond to interruptions is a true test of our spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> is that a guilty laugh? Or? <laughs> You get highly irritable. Number three, you get highly irritable when you are encountering you. Number four, you feel perpetually behind schedule. You feel perpetually behind schedule. You, you didn't accomplish enough. You, you, you're late in getting things done. Uh, and, and it's just like you, you, you have this angst inside you that it's never enough. Number five, I know this is getting guilty, so I'll get through it quick. You interrupt to talk over people. You interrupt to talk over people. Unless they're saying stupid things, they deserve to be interrupted, of course. (laughs) All right, I'm at five. (laughs) Nothing irritates me more. No, I won't go into that. Number six. You're obsessed with checking things off your to-do list. That you get to the end of the day and if everything's checked off, it's like, I'm a complete person. I'm worth something. I'm valuable. Or or maybe you even decide to jack with your to-do list, you know, and you know you can't get it all done and so you sort of figure out how to hyphenate some things and, and, and work your way around them. You see... Hurry, the idea of hurry gets in the way of us providing time and attention to our neighbors. Those people we live with, we work with, we relate to. It gets in the way. And so because we are in a hurry, it is a cancer to our soul. It is deleting our ability to follow Jesus. You can't be spiritually transformed. Without loving your neighbor. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul's saying. Is that the ultimate end of spiritual transformation is seen in how we treat other people, and how we give them our time and our attention, and how we give them access to our Father in heaven. That's why our mission here is to make Jesus accessible. We we want to make Jesus accessible to people so that they know God, not just as creator, but they know him as father. They understand why Jesus lived and died and rose again, and so they can access those incredible riches that come by being a son of the most high, by being a joint heir with Jesus to the riches that God gives us in this world and the world to come. So how do we do this? How do we live at three miles an hour? Well, it's, it's really difficult because what it means is pain. What it means is pain. So, you know, um, when my kids were growing up, uh, we had lots of these around the house. Um, and, and maybe even now as a grandparent, I have lots of these around the house. I try to keep them on a floor that I don't walk on very frequently because there's nothing more lethal than stepping on one of these in in the middle of the night on your way to the the bathroom. Um, But the the problem is, is this, this represents right here most of our lives, all right? You know how these things work, you know, you got little knobs on them and they got little receptacles here. This represents our lives are full. Our lives are full. There is not another space in our world for anything. And so this morning, what I'm suggesting is if if you're going to overcome the time barrier, you're going to have to simplify. You're going to have to move the Lego block down and open up space in your life. And so the question I'm asking you this morning is, what is it you're going to eliminate this week? What is it you're going to eliminate this week? Now, I I know some of your minds went some other place, right? Because all of us eliminate on a regular basis. And if you don't, what happens? I mean, I know that most of us have been around or have experienced constipation. It's not a comfortable thing, is it? But some of us are living and attempting to live constipated spiritual lives. We think we can stuff more and more and more and more and more into this thing. And it doesn't work. You see, we haven't fallen far from our forefather Adam and Eve. What did they want? They wanted more. What do we want? More. Yeah, more. And and so... We've got to come to grips with asking ourselves, okay, if I'm going to love my neighbor, if I'm going to give them time and attention, what is it I'm going to eliminate? What is it I'm going to eradicate from my life to give me the opportunity to provide that time and attention? So the one thing I want from you today, the one thing I would challenge you, one thing I want to leave with you, don't think I'm finished The one thing I want to leave with you is is that question. What is it that I'm going to eradicate from my life? Will you ruthlessly eradicate hurry from your world? Will you, on purpose, slow down? Will you find time to do nothing? Will you join your father? You see, when Jesus came into this world, he could have come into now. He could have come now into this internet world, you know, and, and in an instant, Jesus could have been, you know, in Jerusalem, and he could have been on every screen in, in, in every part of the world. He could have traveled by supersonic jet to every space. He could have gone everywhere and done everything, but he chose to come at a time when people lived at three miles an hour. They walked. That's the speed of our Father and the question is is are we going to join him at that 3 miles an hour are we going to slow down are we going to eliminate are we going to eradicate things in our life and so this week i'm just asking for one thing just stop doing one thing you see we live in lines and god calls us to live in circles He wants us to live face to face. That's why my daughter, before she knew anything about theology or God or Jesus, the Bible, as a human being, she knew one thing. If you look another person in the eye, they're paying attention to you. And yet we live straight ahead, rather in circles. And so the the first step, the first step to overcoming the time barrier is to Find one thing that you're going to stop doing. One thing. Now, I don't want to be prescriptive in your life, but I know that this thing is ubiquitous. I mean, it, it, you know, if you don't have a cell phone, we we should fall down and call you blessed right now. All right? We should. I mean, it is amazing because... You know, I have this little thing called screen time on my phone. I have an iPhone, and I'm sure the Android I had. And so I know already today, my daily average is an hour and 40 minutes. I haven't been up since, like, I got up at 6 this morning. And, and I've already spent by 10.30 an hour and 40 minutes on this phone. So I'm guessing that there's something related to your digital world. There's something related to your DVR. You know the DVR that you have whether it's in the cloud or it's physical it doesn't deserve to be worshiped you know if you don't empty it it won't feel any emotion whatsoever you know it's not a person it's not you know if you miss the latest greatest this or that it it won't matter so what can you eliminate? What can you begin to take a vow of poverty in your life? To lie out space to do what the Apostle Paul said it fulfills all of the commandments in the Bible. To love your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, thank you that... Um, that you took time and you paid attention to us and our need. We were far from you. Uh, we were bound for a, a Christless eternity. We, we were going to spend um, our entire lives and our eternity away from you. And yet you entered this world and you started to draw us into your family. Father, I pray for my friends here today that, that don't understand or feel that sense of, of you as a father. I pray that we could help them Figure that out. If if you're online today, I I, I trust that that maybe you could could hit the Shoal Creek app and just ask some questions that we could help you figure out what it looks like to move from being creator-creature relationship to father-child relationship. Father, it's just amazing how much you have interest in who we are. And it's just devastating how we ignore that. And so I pray that you would grab our attention this week. That you would give us the courage to eliminate some things. One thing, just one thing. And say, I don't need this in my life. I'm going to stop doing this. It's gone. You know, whether it's an addiction or, or whether it's just a small habit or whether it's just the death scroll of Facebook. Father, we just don't need some things. May we get off that trek of entertaining ourselves to death and find life in giving time and attention to you and to our neighbor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.